God, we're, we're so grateful that you are for us and not against us. We're so grateful that you graciously give us all things and that nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. May we experience that truth this morning as our brother, Pastor Andrew, brings your word to us. And may our minds be alert, may our hearts be receptive, and may we leave here with the delicious fire the choir sang about earlier to seek your face this morning, and may it overflow this week into our lives as we invite others to believe and belong. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now the kids can be dismissed, and four to six-year-olds, you can go to the, the foyer now for Christ Kids Worship. Well, good morning. Love having participation in worship in, in that way. You know, as we come together, this isn't uh, the show for the professionals, right? Uh, taking in God's word, bringing in all of our week that we have, all of the fears, everything else uh, that we bring with us. I want to start with some fears of a 15-year-old girl. Uh, here she is. This is not related to me, by the way. <laughs> uh, Got to always make that disclaimer. Um, joining a different team. I'm super duper nervous about going to this tournament. I was nervous I was going to be alone. I was nervous I was going to be left out. I was nervous people weren't going to like me. I was nervous about a lot of things. It doesn't really go away after we turn 16 or 20 or 40 or 80. <laughs> we, we know what that's like to, to feel nervous about these things. I, I had so many fears, she goes on uh, to say, about, about joining this team after all the years of playing against you guys, but you took away all those fears and welcomed me with open arms. Thank you so, so incredibly much. It means the world to me. Again, I, I share this with you because I think what she expresses so well in a short amount of time is that feeling of alienation, the feeling of, of not belonging that we can really wrestle with in our own hearts and lives. Philosophers have written about this. Uh, recently, Jamie Smith uh, wrote a book called On the Road with St. Augustine uh, and talks in there about Augustine's own struggles with these types of fears, uh, with his, his, his struggle with the angst and alienation of life. One of the things that Smith says in that book is that we most often deal with these, and see if you don't see yourself here, uh, by being absorbed by the everydayness of our life. We give ourselves over to those producers of bustling activity who are more than happy to take the burden of selfhood and feeling comfortable and feeling like we belong. They're more than happy to take that burden off of our hands. We learn to forget 
our alienation, by letting ourselves be taken over by the distractions and the entertainments and the chatter of the world. We trade one sort of self-alienation for the other that gives us the illusion of homey comfort. You belong here is the lie that's told to us from everyone from Disney to Vegas. We try to cover up not knowing who we are, feeling that alienation by letting everyone else sell us an identity or at least a distraction from not needing one. I start here because in so many ways, I think this is the way or the direction that, that Romans, you know, this section that we've been looking at from 6 to 8 has, has been leading us. It's been leading us to a vision of who we are. It's been leading us to an identity that is not determined on us finding it or us sorting it out, but it's an identity that has been fixed from before the foundations of the world for those who are called according to the love that is in Christ Jesus. It's an identity that is secure. It's an identity that no one can take away from us. What Paul says here in Romans chapter 8 that is just so, so crucial for us to understand is that if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you belong? We all struggle with that. We all struggle with that sense of, is anyone for me? Do I belong? Will I be accepted? Whether you are, you know, the philosopher Heidegger or a 15-year-old joining a new team, you know, or anywhere in between, we, we struggle with that sense of belonging, that sense of alienation. But God's word is that if God is for you, then who can be against us? Your identity is secure in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is saying to that group of Christians, Romans 16, that we started with so long ago, that group of Christians who are coming from all of these different backgrounds, who were living in the midst of an empire that wanted to eat them alive. Do you ever feel like that? You know, living in a place where they were struggling for a firm foothold uh, in order to navigate life. Maybe some of you remember Pastor Bryant uh, as he was leading us through some of these thoughts. Uh, He talked about climbing a mountain. And he talked about one of the things that we looked at, I believe it was in chapter 6, maybe chapter 7, just a vista along the way as you look back and you see how far you've come and you you realize the beauty that is there. Well, today we reach the summit. Uh, We reach the summit of where Paul is going really from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8. Beginning in chapter 9, 10, and 11, he begins to apply this specifically to the Jews, uh, to his people. And then in chapter 12 uh, through 16, he makes more general application for all Christians. So here we have the mountain peak, if you will, uh, of what Christ is saying, or what Paul is saying, Christ is saying through Paul, uh, to his people. about belonging, about identity, about who we are. And and, and so we want to live here. 
we want to come through the clouds, as it were, and, and we want to, to really hold on to what we see here. So that's sort of our outline through the morning. Uh, as we come through the clouds, uh, we need to see the truths that actually define us. Now, stop for a minute and just acknowledge the reality of the clouds on our ascent. Uh, my, my son went to Covenant College. Some of you have been there. I mean, the reality of living in a cloud uh, is real. Uh, there are days when the cloud is right there, it, it descends on the mountain, you can't see out the valley, uh, and, and there are clouds in our lives. These things are real, and Paul mentions two of them here, uh, very specifically here, clouds that we deal with, questions that we ask. Uh, the first that I'll just mention for you is this idea of condemnation. Uh, who is to condemned? Uh, or who we can start in verse 33 who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn that idea of condemnation this question that we're always asking ourselves am i worthy uh, you know do i deserve to belong do i deserve to be part of the story where god is for me who can be against us uh, john puts it this way in first john chapter 3 when our hearts condemn us god is greater than our hearts. We, we live in a world where we struggle with this. You heard Mike talk about that uh, just with regards to confession. Sometimes even when we come to a time of confession, a time that is meant to free us, where we are in a relationship with God and we acknowledge before Him these things that we're struggling with and we listen for His word of grace uh, that reminds us that our identity is not in those things but we've been set free and Jesus, we, we battle the voices inside of our own head and hearts. Sometimes they're, they're of our own making, uh, guilt, uh, things that we're reminded of, ways that we have walked away from the love of Christ. Uh, sometimes they're, they're not of our own making. They're, they're part of the shame of this world, things that have happened to us, things that we've had no control of. Regardless, we deal with condemnation. And this is one of the things that, that Paul is wanting us to recognize on our journey is that this is part of our story. This is one of the clouds that hovers, and, and we have to get through this cloud. You know, God is encouraging us to keep moving. Don't let the cloud of condemnation come and settle on you and be the only thing that you can see as you are making your way up the mountaintop. I love the way that Brennan Manning, some of you are familiar with this ex-priest uh, who was an alcoholic uh, and now has become an apologist for uh, the overwhelming grace of the Lord. He, he puts it this way, my life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as much as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wage as the grinning drunk 
who shows up at 10 till 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to the dying thief's request. Please remember me and assures him, ah, you bet. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, but it's free. This is the grace that speaks to our condemnation. This is what, uh, what we are being encouraged to move beyond this cloud. The second cloud uh, that Paul speaks of uh, is the cloud of not so much am I worthy, but am I safe? Am I really safe? And we struggle with that a lot. I mean, the, the safety industry in this country and around the world is, is unbelievable. Whether it is uh, security systems, whether it's firearms, how we think about these things, uh, you, we're constantly asking ourselves, are we safe? Do we have the right policies in place? And all of these things are, are good, you know, th- good things to think about. But the question here, and surely this was a question that the Christians were asking in that first century, folks that were going through some of the various things that are spoken of here, tribulation, this is verse 35, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, all of these things were were part of this first group of Christians' life. And they're asking very legitimate questions, Are, are we safe? Not only do I belong, but, but will it last? Will it keep me? Can it hold me? Can it keep the way going for us? And again, these are questions that, that we wrestle with. These are questions that uh, cloud us on our way. And we're seeking answers. We want to get through the clouds uh, to, to see the sun. I was thinking about just you know, that transition from moving from clouds to, to sun and, and what it means to see the grace that, that God gives us. And I was reminded of an article by Annie Dillard. It actually kind of goes the other way. Uh, it's about writing about the, the eclipse, a total eclipse, and, and just what that was like for her. She was out in Yakima, Washington. It's, it's a rather famous piece that she's written. Maybe some of you uh, have read it. Uh, and she, she talks about the difference between a total eclipse and a partial eclipse and, and just how, uh, how striking that was. She says, it began with Noah Dew. It was odd that such a well-advertised public event should have no starting gun, no overture, no introductory speaker. I should have known right then that I was out of my depth. Without pause or preamble, silent as orbits, a piece of the sun went away. We looked at it through welder's goggles. A piece of the sun was missing. In its place, we saw empty sky. I had seen a partial eclipse in 1970. A partial eclipse is very interesting. But, and here's the piece that I really was struck by, it bears almost no relation to a total eclipse. Seeing a partial eclipse bears the same relation to seeing a total eclipse as kissing a man does to marrying him, or as flying in an airplane does to falling out of an airplane. Although the one experience precedes the other, 
It in no ways prepares you for it. And I share that with you here just to think about that transition. You know, what we deal with on day to day, these clouds that come into our life. Am I worthy? Am I safe? You know, we, we wrestle with that. But then when we come into the vistas of what Paul is actually saying here in Romans chapter 8, the end of this, uh, we realize that we're out of our depth. We realize that there is a phenomena here that, that takes our breath away. In this case, it's not the total eclipse of the sun, but it is the sun that shines so brightly that we see truths that anchor us. We see truths that give us that identity, that speak to that sense of alienation that lingers so much for each one of us. What is it that we see when we break through the clouds? We see the victorious Christ. You know, verse 34 is such a, such a beautiful verse uh, where it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, and is indeed interceding for us. This brings us back to Romans chapter 1, where, where we were reminded that Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, he is the victor. The gospel, we said, remember in, in Romans time, you know, Caesar had a gospel. It was the gospel of the one who was the victor, who was the conqueror, who was going forward. They would go out, the heralds would, and they would herald the gospel of, C of Caesar. And what Paul is saying here is, is we are heralding the victory uh, of, of Jesus. We are heralding the one who is the true conqueror. It's the gospel of God. He died. He was resurrected, or as he says uh, in verse 2 of, of chapter 1, verse 3, concerning his son David who descended, uh, sorry, I'm going too fast, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God. Again, a title that was reserved for Caesar. Uh, but he is saying, this is Jesus, the conqueror. He is the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This is the victorious Christ who sits upon the throne. And Paul wants these Christians to know this who are asking, am I worthy? Am I safe? Yes. Yes, why? Because Jesus died, he was resurrected, he has ascended, he is now seated at the right hand of God, the place of all authority, and you and me, brothers and sisters, we need this anchor. We need to know that we serve a glorious, resurrected, conquering, victorious Christ, that our sin. The things that draw us away that we're so enticed by cannot separate us from that victory. The victory that overcame sin, death, and the devil. That worldly powers cannot stand against this victory. He is absolute. And this is a seditious message now as much as it was then. 
for Paul to be saying that Jesus was the Son of God in victory and power and that this was the gospel, this was I will get you killed type message. And if we really believe this and we really live this now, you will feel it. You will feel the persecution. You will feel the, the, the sense of not belonging to this world. But it's because you don't. You belong to another world. You belong to this victorious Christ. And that is our security. And one of the things that it just sort of alerts us to on our, you know, the gauges on our car that say check engine is if you find that you belong too much to this world, to its political parties, whatever one it might be, to its ways of defining success, then you may not be as connected to Christ as Paul would have us be connected to. Because this, brothers and sisters, is like being in the presence of the full sunshine. You come through the clouds. Am I worthy? Am I safe? Absolutely. Why? Because you belong to the victorious Christ who died and who rose again and is seated at the right hand, the place of power next to the Father. And then secondly, he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. This is his present work for all of us uh, self-destructive younger brothers and sisters uh, who continue to, to run away from the Father's love, who continue to seek our own pleasure, who continue to seek our own portion in this world, to all of us self-righteous elder brothers and sisters who continue to insist on our own self-justification, who continue to insist on doing things our own way and proving our own rightness because, doggone it, we are better than those people. To all of us, self-righteous, self-destructive, Jesus is interceding for us. And he's saying, yes, they continue to move in these directions. Yes, they continue to struggle with their flesh, both sides of the flesh. But my work is finished. And Father, you see these five bleeding wounds. And you know that I died for them. And it is sufficient. And they are held not because of what they have done. They are worthy not because of their own righteousness, but they are secure, and they are safe, and they are worthy because of my finished work. This is the vision that we need, I think, surely, you know, for these first century Christians who are listening to this. I think of the slaves and I think of some of the things that they were forced to do. If you go back and read first century history and you realize what some of the slaves were forced to do sexually, it's unbelievable. And I think of the shame that they must have felt and how they lived day by day just knowing those things. But to know that the son who had finished the work was there interceding for them. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary's tree. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Brothers and sisters, are, are you safe? Are you worthy? 
The answers are yes. We come through the clouds and we know that the answers are yes, not because what we have done, but because of what Christ has done, his finished work. This is really, as uh, Fleming Rutledge will say in her work uh, called The Crucifixion, this is the Theologia Crucis. You know, the, the two central points uh, of, of the, the theology of the cross are this. One, our sins are atoned for. We are made righteous not because of what we have done. And secondly, that God is the victor. That his kingdom will stand supreme. That we are to crown him with many crowns and he has put to rout the principalities and the powers and everything that would stand against us. That is what the cross means. That is what the totality of Christ's works. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, intercession. This is the theology. This is what we believe. And brothers and sisters, this is the light that blinds us in all of its goodness. This is where we stand week by week. How do we go forward? How are we equipped to live in this world? It is this that is our anchor, this that is our truth. And then we can say with Paul, we know that we are loved. You know, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, is I'm praying that you would know. Just how deep is the love of God in Christ for you? Because this is what is so absolutely crucial in a world that that pushes alienation. And we try to solve it so many ways. We try to solve it with our everydayness. We try to solve it with other things that will give us some security, that will give us some sense of uh, identity. But there is nothing, and Paul knows this, there is nothing that can compare to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And and so he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That more than conquerors, I I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, You can sit and think about it for a while, but maybe it's partially this. I think about a conqueror. I think of somebody who comes in might. I think of somebody who drives out the enemy. I think of somebody to be feared. But here Paul gives us the picture not only of a conqueror, but it's somebody who is loved. We are more than conquerors uh, through Christ Jesus, through him who loved us. We, we see the, the tenderness, the vulnerability, the, the humanity, the wholeness of, of strength and beauty, of strength and tenderness. Maybe that's a little bit what it means to be more than conquerors. But there is such a picture of love here. Uh, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. That's not just the birds and the bees, that's the universe, the black holes, the the stars, all of the, the wonder and might and magnitude of creation. Nothing, as the kids so poignantly saying, nothing can separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter where you are on your journey, you can see that this is the invitation for us today. We all come with the sense of anxiety. People that we love are struggling. The sense of alienation. Do I belong? Am I safe? Am I lovable? Am I worthy? Paul says he is worthy. And he has finished the work. And you can be assured that you are loved. After all, look what Paul says. If, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us up, gave him up for us all. How will he, not also with him, graciously give us all things? 2006, Tony Dungy, who's a Super Bowl winning coach um, and also a father who lost a son, was speaking at the Athletes in Action Super Bowl breakfast. This was soon after his son James, uh, older son in college, committed suicide, and he was reflecting a little bit on their experience, talking about James, some of his gifts, some of the beauty that he brought to the world, uh, reflecting on the faith that James had in the Lord, even though uh, he took his own life. And uh, Dungy said it, it, was a, it was a surreal experience. You know, you're grieving, you're trying to reflect, share these things. Uh, in, during the memorial service, the funeral service. It said in the weeks that followed it, several people came up to us. And, you know, some of them reflected on their own relationship with their kids. And they said, you know, because of the way that you talked about your relationship with James, I, I went and I, I hugged my son in a way that I haven't hugged him in a long time. Uh, thank you for encouraging me in that way. They got a letter from... Uh, organ donation. They were able to donate uh, James's corneas. And so two people uh, were now seen be, as a result of their son's passing away. Another poignant story that was told to him was a young woman who had gone to their church, was at the funeral. Uh, she said, you know, I, I was never sure about the reality of God. But as you talked about your own experience and as I saw the faith that your family exhibited during this horrible time, I was forced to rethink my position with regards to the reality of God. And I want you to know uh, that God has become real to me and I now have a relationship with him and I'm trusting him in a way that I wasn't before. And, and then Tony said this, he said, you know, if, if, you, if God had come to me and had a conversation with me and he had said, you know, I, I can do all these amazing things. I, I can heal people's relationship with their kids and their parents. I can help people to see who are blind. I can even save people. I can even save people eternally. But you have to make a choice. I can do all of those things but it's going to cost you your son. Tony said, I don't think I could have said yes. I would have had to say no to that. But he went on to say, the amazing thing about the love of God 
is that he said yes to that choice every time. Who can be against us if God is for us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Tony went on to talk about going back to work. He said it was tough. He said, I couldn't have done it without the perspective that a friend had given me. He had said to him, you know, your son, James, he had a relationship with the Lord. And so you have good reason to hope that that James now knows that relationship close up in heaven. Given everything that you know about heaven, would you want James back? He had to pause and think about it, and he said, no, I wouldn't. You see, he had come through the clouds in that moment, and he saw clearly what God wanted him to see. And and brothers and sisters, this is my prayer. We've been walking through Romans 6 to 8. We've been talking about a, a, a life in the Spirit that equips us not only with our own safety and security, but with a way to live in this world, a a way to be open and welcoming and promiscuous with the faith that that God has given us. We've been talking about a faith that is worth sharing. And here we are at the mountaintop, a victorious Christ, an interceding Christ, inseparably connected to the love of God in Christ. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I want to close just by rereading Romans chapter 8 to you. It takes about five minutes, but I think it will be worth it. You can either follow along if you like in your Bible Or you can just close your Bible, close your eyes, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, not my words, but the words of God to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But you are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but... If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life 
because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, for those who love God, that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Amen. Father, we, we stand at the summit in your glory. We know that greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And yet you, while we were still enemies, gave your own son in order that we might know rescue from the condemnation that belongs to us rightfully. We might know the victory of living in a world where Jesus is king. Seal these truths to our hearts. For all of us are going through, wrestling these questions, a sense of alienation. Am I worthy? Am I safe? Yes. A thousand times yes. Because of Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.